Welcome to Amazing Business Radio with best-selling author and customer service and business expert, Shep Hyken. Shep will talk with some of the smartest thinkers in business to help make you more successful in your professional and personal life. This is Amazing Business Radio with Shep Hyken. Shep Hyken here on Amazing Business Radio, and I'm excited today because in the studio, in the house, is Matt Hall, who has just written an amazing book called Odds on the Making of an Evidence-Based Investor. And we're going to find out what evidence-based investors are. But Matt is the co-founder and president of the investment management firm called Hill Investment Group in St. Louis, Missouri. And he has a really interesting and unique twist on how to look at your investments. And I know that's important to everybody, that they want to be successful. They want to take the money that they've worked with and earned and put it somewhere where it's going to be safe and continue to grow and hopefully make it easier one day for them to retire, for their family to be better off. And uh, for hopefully not just years, but errors to come as well. So, Matt, welcome to Amazing Business Radio. Awesome to be here with you, Ship. Well, I'm excited because we're going to talk about your new book, which is just out. But let's get a little background on you first, which is uh, how did you get into this business? I know you were a Wall Street guy, and now you're no longer on Wall Street. You're in a nice office building in Clayton, Missouri, which is a suburb of St. Louis. Yeah, this is a great place to be, as you know. Um, I'm an unlikely person to wind up in an investment advisory or wealth management field. I am an English major, and I'm a guy raised by two parents who are in education. Um, but I think that sort of unique perspective has really been helpful to me. It makes you well-rounded. It, it does. It does. And, and ultimately, one of the biggest challenges in my industry is communication, is figuring out how to take complex information and translate it in a way that makes sense to real people's uh, lives. Right. Now, I'm going to interrupt you because I think that's important, and I want to hear more about your background and, uh, you know, that you worked on Wall Street. It's always fun to hear about the New York stories. Was it right out of college? Uh, so I well, – well, 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 I don't want to lose my train of thought. Yeah. Here's it. You just said mm-hmm. uh, you, you like communication. Mm-hmm. Basically, you like to take the complicated and I'm assuming make it simple because that's what this book uh, is in my mind. It's you've taken some very – Oh, what I would call boring, mm-hmm. maybe yep. technical. Yep. Okay, definitely technical ideas in investing, and you brought it down to my level. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> and the level of many people. Well, I can tell you that from my own experience, sixteen years of giving away wonky technical books, Shep. I can tell you, super smart, super successful people don't have time, energy, or the desire, frankly, to read heavy-duty investment books. I know because I've given heavy-duty, wonky, technical investment books away for years. And when people come back to talk with me and I say, what would you think of the book? They go, oh. I'm sorry. Uh, yeah. I, didn't, um, I didn't get through that. Yeah, or they try to fake you out. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. And you catch them. Yeah. Yeah. So my <laughs> desire to write a book wasn't because I didn't already have plenty of ammunition. I had lots of books that I am fond of using. But it's because I was tired of people not making it through the books I was giving them. So my challenge was how can I get people to get injected with some of the basics, some of the things that I'm deeply passionate about without it feeling like it's painful? Just look at the first chapter, which is titled, What Would Alex Keating Do? And I said, Alex Keating. I know who Alex Keating is. Mm -hmm. And uh, Michael J. Fox's character on – Family, family ties. ties. Family right. ties. And and the millennials have no idea what I'm talking about <laughs> yeah. right now. Anybody that's probably under 35 or 40 may not know. But when I was a kid, 
that was a great show. Yeah. And Alex Keating was this scrappy guy, right. you know, as you described him. Those are your words, a scrappy guy. I just always thought, you know, yeah, he got out of trouble. He he was also the negotiator. He was also the guy that, you know, made actually made reason out of out of chaos at times. Right. So yeah. what would Alex Keating do? Well, I think the reason I like uh, referencing him was because when I was young, that TV show, uh, he it, really he represented sort of this young, hungry uh, future capitalist of the world. Oh, yeah. and he was I, always entrepreneurial. He was, and mm-hmm. I'm not a natural entrepreneur, uh, so I was inspired by sort of you know his character in that show. But my journey uh, was from sort of college to I thought I was going to be a lawyer, and. I was lucky enough to have an advisor in law school who said, you know, I'm tired of seeing so many kids come to law school for the wrong reasons. He said, I want you to read a book. Later became a movie. It was called A Civil Action. Um, I don't know if you remember that movie. Uh, no, John, John Travolta was in it, but it was basically not an inspirational story. This is not the story that you read that says, let's go to law school and become a lawyer. <laughs> it was a really rough go uh, for the main character um, – and he said, this is what being a lawyer is like. It's this hard. And I thought, man, I don't – you know, I'm about to – my parents had paid for my undergraduate education. I was going to pay for my law school, and I was scared. I thought, what am I going to do? Should I, should I go, I think, seventy or $80,000 in debt, go to law school, come out and be a lawyer and fix – help fix problems for people that they can't solve themselves? Mm-hmm. Or should I go another route? I had – and this is depicted in the book. I had a magical lunch with my dad. Where he said, Matt, you know what you love? You love the idea of financial services, of Wall Street, of how markets work. You should, you should pursue that. You should just get in. Don't worry about what the job is. Just get in there and rub up against people who know what they're doing. So you went from English major mm-hmm. to investment. To thinking to- I was going to be a lawyer mm-hmm. uh, to finding my way into a brokerage firm. And, and where that's, was that? And that was right here in St. Louis, Missouri, not far away, uh, in the top floor of a building on Bemiston. And what I learned there was sort of what I would say, and this is depicted in the book, how not to do things. I mean I was really uh, disenchanted with how salesy uh, and unfocused on the client uh, that, that, that the industry was. It was very much about what products could you sell, not about what made the most sense for the client. And you can see this is still happening today. That story hasn't changed a whole lot. That bothers me tremendously because I know uh, know, there's a new product that comes out, and there's incentive that's given to the financial advisors to push this product onto their clients. And uh, lots of of ways to get around that. Anyway, I'm, I'm diverting from your story. But every day, Shep, I got a free lunch when I worked at this brokerage Because those every... wholesalers would come in and That's bring right. a great lunch. And you know what the lunch – what happened at the lunch? You got your food. The person walked up to the front of the room. They wrote down a number on a board, and they would say, this is our performance. This is our fund's performance. And for what period? Like a one-, three-, or five-year period? Completely insignificant. Never talked about their process or their evidence or their data. They just talked about short-term performance, which isn't predictive of anything. No. It means nothing. What is the uh, expression you hear of past performance is no indicator of, of future whatever? Right. If, yeah. only, more, if only more people um, listen to that. But, the, but there, uh, for a long time, people haven't known much of an alternative. They thought that's just the, the way the investment industry works. It's not necessarily so. So – you ended up at Wall Street, mm-hmm. in, on Wall Street, in New York City. You live there. No, here in St. Louis. Oh, here in I wor- St. Louis. I worked for a brokerage firm here in St. Louis. That was a Wall Street firm. Yes. And we won't mention their name. Right. Okay, right. 
Come on, who are they? But they wouldn't be any different whether you listed any of the big firms. It's mm-hmm. all the same story. Yeah. I mean, since since I've um, had a few advanced reader copies out to people, um, they've told me, hey, this is my story. And they weren't at the same firm. And my partner, who's 30 years older than me, uh, he has the exact same story I had. And I reveal a few of his um, experiences in the book, too. So basically, the experience was you didn't like the process of what a big firm was doing. Now, mm-hmm. today, though, I've got to ask a question. Mm-hmm. Uh, so so I, when I invest, I pay. I don't pay when they make a sale or buy a stock or a right. mutual fund or anything. I pay based on a percentage of my assets. Mm-hmm. If those assets go down, mm-hmm. that financial advisor makes less money and they get fired by the way. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. If it goes down I mean, you know, obviously they could go down one year if the whole market's down, you gotta you know, but right. if they're not outperforming at some level or doing something special and making me feel comfortable and confident, they're gone. Mm-hmm. But it's percentage based. Mm-hmm. So the churn of buying a new product doesn't really make sense to them when really their focus should be on how can I make the biggest amount of money for my client Mm. because that allows me to make a little bit more money for myself. Yeah, so that distinction between commissions versus fees, that's – that's that is part of the evolution that's happening in the industry. Very few people anymore charge based on commissions. Mm-hmm. So what's the good point about uh, charging on fees versus commissions? You know, sort of you're you're aligning people's interests, and the person isn't isn't pursuing activity that doesn't have value attached to it. You know, in the old days, you could see me, and I I tell a story about this in the book. A broker who would just sell stocks just to get commissions, and the activity was connected to no real meaningful value. It was just activity for activity's sake because activity equaled money for that person. Right. So the difference between fee-based, which is your, what you're describing your experience is, versus commission commissions, is an important distinction. And I would say in the evolution of the financial services world, uh, fees are going to continue to survive. Fee-based uh, so this is like a good you. thing. It's a good thing it's overall good because thing. it aligns people's interests, and it's, you're not connecting activity. Oftentimes, activity is counterproductive. There are many times when doing something is the absolute wrong thing to do. You know, there's that expression. Um, uh, you know, something about do do nothing, just sit there. Um, it's really, really important. Uh, and this is one of the things we can get into with respect to like how humans are wired in a way that makes you know. Sometimes we want to we want to act. And we think acting is going to equal value. And the answer is oftentimes uh, discipline and patience are the most productive financial things you can do. And that's easy to say unless it's your money and you're watching the market go down Mm -hmm. and you're going, oh, gosh, what should I do? I'm panicking. We need to sell everything. And I know when we come back from a short break, you're going to tell us why we shouldn't sell even when the market's heading down and down and down because – there is history there, and there is past performance that we look at. That gives us an indicator of what could happen. So we'll take a short break. When we come back, we're going to talk again with Matt Hall, who's just written an amazing book, Odds on the Making of an Evidence-Based Investor, just out. If you are listening to this right now, you can even – we're going on a break. Go ahead, call Amazon – or call Amazon – Go to Amazon. Go to Amazon and order the book right now. But in the meantime, uh, we'll be back in just a moment. Don't go away. Doesn't everyone love Disney? I know I do. And I also love a great book. And Lessons from the Mouse by Dennis Snow is an excellent book. 
Dennis shares 10 practical principles from Disney and entertains as he educates. So check out Dennis Knows Book on Amazon.com. Once again, it's titled Lessons from the Mouse, a guide for applying Disney World's secrets of success to your organization, your career, and your life. This is Amazing Business Radio with Shep Hyken. Shep Hyken here back on Amazing Business Radio talking with Matt Hall about investing. And when we were just uh, wrapping up the first segment, uh, Matt, you were saying that uh, there, there's a long-term view. And I think that's one of your, your big, you know, that's one of your mantras. Take the long view, right? Yeah. And uh, the market's tanking. It's going down. Let's just say that happened uh, probably uh, 2008 was one. Uh, there was one 2001 or two. There was a pretty bad one. I think 2008, it probably dipped as low a bigger percentage. I mean, we're looking at serious, like recessionary type performance. Uh, so you know, you, you get that you're an investor, and you call your advisor up, and you go, "What's going on? I I I, I can't sleep at night. Uh, uh, hey, I'm 50 years old, and zits are popping out on my forehead. I'm so nervous. What's going what great, on? What am a great I, picture. That's a great picture. Am I going to be able to? Uh, are my kids going to go to college? Am I am I going to be able to die and leave something to my kids and my family? What's going on? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, Shep, I think one of the coolest things that uh, we could do is flip flip the way you've framed this. If you think about it in other terms, like if you were buying a consumer product and the price was lower, you would be excited about low prices. You'd back the truck up and buy as much of it as you could. Yeah, that TV drops to, uh, yeah, whatever. I'm going to yeah. buy another TV, I even want, if I don't need it, by the way. I want readers and I want you to think about um, being a contrarian. You know, there's an old uh, Buffett quote about – uh, greedy when others are fearful and fearful when others are greedy. And that kind of discipline, that kind of attitude, framing it in that way is hugely valuable and hugely profitable over the long term. But yes, it goes against the way our stomach feels, the, the way our gut feels, or you know, sort of the stress and, and the, the the zits on the on the uh, head. I was joking about that, but I do know someone I saw someone and I go, everything okay? He goes the market's killing me. I'm breaking out. And, uh-huh. I, and I thought, really? And by the way, I don't feel that way. I do yeah. try to take the yeah. long view. But I know Good. that that's what a lot of investors are. They, they freak out. And yeah. I think if you look at the trend, that's when people are selling, when the market's going down. Mm-hmm. And you're telling me, no, we should be buying. Mm-hmm. My what? good my good friend, excuse me, Shep, my mm-hmm. good friend who endorsed the book, Carl Richards, uh, who uh, has a blog on the New York Times, he uh, one of his original sketches was called The Behavior Gap. And what it depicts is how humans do the exact opposite of what they should do. So what do they do? They buy high and they sell low. What is it that we should do? Well, we should, the opposite. We should do the opposite. We should buy low and we should be selling high. And But that goes against every sort of human instinct that's inside of us. We think that things that are doing well will continue to do well forever. And we think the things that are doing poorly are the things we have to run from. Discipline versus uh, emotional. Yeah. And training oneself or – and frankly, this is why I think people in my industry will have jobs forever uh, because – we can't do this for ourselves. I've met lots of really smart people, people with PhDs, MBAs from the best schools in the land. They have knowledge, but that doesn't mean they have discipline when it comes to their own money. Mm-hmm. I think people in my field will have work for a long time because much like personal trainers or other things where you know you know what you should do, sometimes you need someone to prevent you from doing the thing that you want to do. Um, and so it would feel good to take action and sell things sometimes. And 
And, you know, in 2008, what was awesome was having people understand that when you rebalance, when you buy equities when they've gone down and sell fixed income, which is held steady, that's the exact right thing to do, even though it feels so wrong. Yeah, because the fixed income is security. Yeah. Uh, but let, let's look at it this way. Um, and and I, I think that a number of fairly successful investors, not necessarily that they were the ones that made the decisions to do it, but they've hired people like you to go out and help them, yeah. uh, and especially in today's times. Interest rates for fixed income are virtually zero right now. Right. Okay. So – uh, if if the market has been performing as well as it has up until recently, and I realize you know we're we're at a point in time now where this is happening, and it'll happen again twenty five times in our lifetime. But here's what I see happening: the market has gone up. Therefore, your investments that you would put into these, you know, what I would call they were they're they're liquid, but you know, obviously they're stocks, bonds, mutual funds. They continue to go up, and you want to have a balanced portfolio, meaning you want a percentage of your assets to be in very safe, secure, fixed income. But here's what happens. Uh, there's no good fixed income other than basically zero or less than 1%, yet your stocks keep going up, yet you're supposed to rebalance. Mm -hmm. What do you do? Do you rebalance? And by the way, when you rebalance, you're pulling money out that you've made money on, right? And therefore, there's a tax consequence. So you're really losing right as you pull out uh, whatever that tax consequence might be. Oh yeah, but don't let that tax tail wag the dog ship. Let's go. Let's go back to the bigger, the biggest question here, which is: you, Do you remember the book Moneyball or the movie Moneyball? You Moneyball with uh, yeah, Brad, Brad Pitt, Pitt, Boston Red Sox. Yeah. Yep. So if if you didn't tell the story that that is in the movie and the book Moneyball, it would be it would be a boring sort of equation, which is basically this: In the old days, scouts made sort of judgment based on intuition and human evaluation about players that they were going to select for their baseball team. Mm -hmm. As time went on, teams like uh, Billy Bean's team, the Oakland A's, were forced— oh, yeah, he was, he, well, Billy Bean, is, and that's where you start, Oakland A's. Right. Then he went to Boston. Uh, he never went to Boston. Well, he, he got went, offered that job, he but he turned it down. It down. Oh, you wow. remember that great yeah, scene yeah, in the at movie? At the very end yeah. of the movie. Yeah. Okay, but if you remember, that's a critical part of the movie— where the owner of the Red Sox is saying to him, every team should tear down their internal infrastructure and follow what you've done, Billy, which was what? Which was stop having scouts make player decisions based on sort of rolling the dice, human intuition. Use science. Use data. Use evidence. The book is called Odds On because in investing, and this is what the academics have figured out, in investing, the odds are against active managers or stock pickers. If you and I tried to pick some stocks and outperform the averages, and this is going to get back to the, the main question you were asking about what to do, especially as things feel uncertain. What do we do if we can't pick stocks that will outperform? We can talk about why, why that's so hard, but let's just assume for a second that all the academic evidence is right. It's hard for humans to uncover inefficiencies in the market that will give us better than average returns. That's that's a true statement. That mm -hmm. is real. It's very difficult. It's not impossible. It's very difficult I think to do. If it's not impossible, but the ones that do it, I think, sometimes are lucky. They just happen to be right place, right time. And we can't ad identify them in advance. Yeah. Get notoriety you, as a result, by the way. The ones who did it last year are not the same people who will do it next year. Mm -hmm. So if we agree with that premise that sort of it's very difficult to outsmart the market, then what do you do? 
What you do is you get low-cost exposure to the markets. Well, back in the 60s, if you said, how has the market done historically? No one knew. The data wasn't collected. Now here we are. We got data overload. We got tons of data. And what the data tells us is the pros, the professional mutual fund managers, the same people who would come and give me the free lunch that we mentioned earlier, those people, we cannot predict which one of those will outperform the market. So our best bet, and this is something that Jack Bogle, John Bogle from Vanguard um, uh, popularized with the retail market, is the notion of indexing. If you just bought the index – you know, sort of, or an analogy we sometimes use is: What if you bought the haystack instead of searching for the needles in the haystack? What if you just own the whole haystack? What if mm-hmm. you just own a little bit of everything? Some goes down, some goes up, but overall, you're going to perform with the market, and yes. market over time does better exactly than uh, typical individual investors. I mean, sure, there are people that have hit home runs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but yeah. So, so how like you said they don't do it every year, right? So, in the long run, this is sort of like the tortoise and the hare example. In the long run, who's the winner? Is it the winner, the person who has low-cost, tax-efficient, diversified exposure to the world markets, or is it the person who's rolling the dice hoping they can look under a rock and find this one undiscovered company that no one else knows about? Well, I would tell you it's really hard to find that thing that no one else knows about. Markets are relatively efficient. They're efficient enough that the price of something, it knows what is publicly available. So really the only way I would say that you can outperform the market is if you know something the market doesn't know, and that's usually called insider trading, and that's not a good thing. That is not good. Right. (laughs) That is not good. So if we want you to have diversified, low-cost, tax-efficient exposure to the world markets, to world global capitalism, is that possible? Yes, it's possible. Is it possible for the super billionaire and for the everyday Joe? Yes, it is. That exists, and that's why I wrote Odds On because I was so tired of – regular people and hugely successful people who just don't have the time. It's not the highest and best use of their time to make it through a wonky technical book. I wanted to write a book where I could disguise the information that the academics have put together. I wanted to disguise it in a way that it felt painless. So I, I wrote a book where I took my personal experiences and stories and buried all that wonky technical stuff inside of it. And that's what Odds On is about. It's about the math is figured out. And you would think – I had a friend who said to me, is it all investing evidence based? One would think that that's what should be. Who would right. want to and invest? One would think it should be that way. It's not that way. It's not that way. Now, most of the time, prospective clients I meet, when I say, How have you made investment decisions in the past? They'll say, I have a friend who is in the investment business. And I'll say, But how have you made decisions? And they'll say, well, My friend does it. And I'll say, Well, what's your system? What's your philosophy? What's your process? They don't know. Well, I'll say, what, and what now, is this a professional advisor? Yes. Or, okay. So, so I'm, the, say, I'm, I'm the saying, the friend is a professional advisor, right. but you're talking to a, an average guy we, like myself who is, you know, we're the investor. Right. There's no real philosophy or approach. It's a relationship business, and I. That's great that humans want to work with humans they like. This is, and this gets to the point of the book too. It's like, I think if people saw the evidence that I see, they would make decisions similar to what I've made. Which is stop guessing. Look at Moneyball. Go back to Moneyball again. Every team in Major League Baseball now has a data and statistics group helping them make better decisions about which players to draft, select, trade for. Every team. You go back 10 years ago, no team, zero teams had a data and analysis group. 
Nobody so, had So it. here's the cool thing is that even if you do have a relationship with an advisor, you want to talk to the advisor about the method that they use to pick and choose what your investments are going to be. So here's my suggestion. Don't buy one book. Mm-hmm. Buy two books. Great. One for you to read personally and the other to give to your financial advisor. So do it right now. We're going to take another short break. My name's Shep Hyken. We're talking with Matt Hall. This is Amazing Business Radio. We'll be right back. Shep Hyken here. How would you like customer service training anytime you want it or need it, day or night? Well, with Shepherd Virtual Training, you will have world-class customer service training at your fingertips online 24 7 365 days a year just go to www.shepondemand.com once again that's shepondemand.com and remember always be amazing you're listening to amazing business radio with best-selling author and customer service and business expert shep hyken Shep Hyken here back on Amazing Business Radio talking with Matt Hall, the author of Odds On, which is a great investment book. And I think that's important today um, that we properly invest our money and we do what's necessary to make sure that the long view is a successful view. Matt, you've helped a lot of people. Um, give, us a, uh, give, give us a story. Tell us about one of your success stories. Okay, I'll share two quick stories uh, that are both in the book. One is... Uh, a easy, simple story, but it's one that makes me very happy. So oftentimes people come to us and they say, hey, um, these are all the stocks I track. Let me show you all the things I track. And they pull out their phones and they open an app and they show me all the stuff that they look at day to day. And I look at it and I, I tell them, you know, there's going to be a time in the near future if you work with us where you'll delete every single one of these. You'll never look at this again. You'll spend your time differently. Once you sort of accept an evidence-based approach, you don't need to waste any time or energy on these sort of day-to-day uh, monitoring or assessing yeah. individual I, I'm, I'm guilty of that. I used to do that. I used to love – I remember I bought Microsoft at around, I want to say, um, $15, you know, and it went up. It split. It went up. And I was tracking that. I was tracking my Intuit. I was tracking my, uh, my Oracles. I was ta- tracking all those stocks that did so well. I felt like a hero. And then sometime around 2001, I stopped for the reason of I can't look at it anymore. They're going down. Well, we don't tell everybody this, but we say internally that we sort of have a rehabilitation process Mm -hmm. that gradually you get people – once people accept sort of an evidence-based philosophy, you feel detached from these sort of individual stock gyrations. There's always going to be to an apocalypse of the day. An apocalypse du jour, something that happens in the news that makes you want to see how does that impact what I own? How does that? How did that impact the markets? You don't have any control over that. Is it? A, is it the highest and best use of your time or my time to monitor which which individual security is going up or down in that day? No, no. Capitalism over long periods of time will reward investors, and so it makes me really happy when I see someone stop wasting time. They show me their phone, and there's zero on there, and we have a client who's actually in the publishing business um, who showed me his phone after he started working with us and said, see, it's all gone. I deleted all those things, and they used to be a daily part of my day. Second thing I'll tell you, and this is really touching, and this is the thing that really gets me going. Uh, We have a client – this story is mentioned in the book too – uh, who very smart, very successful, uh, husband and wife combination, awesome people. And uh, once they started working with us, after a few years, um, things had really worked out well. And she said, you know, I think I want to do something nice for my sister. 
I said, what are you going to do? She said, I'm, I never imagined I'd be in a position to do this, but I'm going to pay off my sister's mortgage. And then she started tearing up, and this person is a CPA, and you know most CPAs aren't maybe known as the most emotional people, very analytical, but not necessarily the most emotional. She started tearing up, and I said, what, what is it? And she said, I'm just thinking about how proud my mother would be if she mm-hmm. knew that I was able to do this. So wow. to me, the greatest thing has been learning how this approach merges or intersects with real people's lives and makes a difference in their in their lives. And it, there is a big difference. I think oftentimes people think when they're going to make sm- – this year, 2016, I'm going to make smarter financial decisions. Got to check that off the list. Got to do better in money. And they think it's all the same. I meet one guy. I meet another guy. They're all the same. No, there are big differences. The approach espoused in this book is, is an approach espoused not just by me but lots of advisors all over the country who want to see people take advantage of what the academics know. So those are a couple examples of how real people's lives have been affected by this sort of approach. Well, there's some some great examples. Now, there is a chapter in here about a personal health issue that you had. You're a cancer survivor. Right. Uh, you beat leukemia. Yeah. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, 32 two years of age, uh, I started a business with one other person. I did not know I was ever going to do that, didn't know I was going to be an entrepreneur. And the stress of all of that, I think, may have played a large part in what happened with me. And I didn't expect to have cancer or uh, leukemia, which is basically a blood cancer at at, at a young age. Um, But I was really lucky. And here's the way this all connects back to investing. I was really lucky to be under the care of two phenomenal doctors who are both uh, talked about in the book and who who both happen to be here in St. Louis. Um, Are they your clients? Uh, they are not my clients, but they are huge fans of this approach. Okay. <laughs> but I will tell you, these doctors taught me a valuable lesson that has shaped the way I work with our clients. And that is, in the old days, we used to take all this data and evidence and just beat you over the head with it, Shep, until you said uncle. That's what we would do. We didn't care about what was important to you. We cared about you getting turned on to what we cared about. What I realized, though, through my own experience, you know, having a major health crisis is, at a young age, old age, any age, it, you know, you, you have a lot of anxiety. You have a lot of questions. I wrote down all these questions, 10 questions I wanted my oncologist to answer. And he said to me, Matt, I could answer all these questions, but I want you to do two things. I want you to get this medicine that I'm giving you in your body, and I want you to get on with your life. And a part of me felt even more anxious that my questions weren't going to get answered, but another part of me felt liberated, that I had clear focus and direction from a very smart person as to what I was supposed to do. So I did. that's what I did. I got that medicine in my body every day, and I got on with my life. And what I realized and what helped me – and by the way, this is just before 2008, just before 2008 – is what I realized is when you go through a traumatic experience or, say, the in- investment world caused trauma for retirees at that time. Right. You can make people feel understood and well-held, sometimes not by answering all their questions, but by giving them focus and a sense of clear direction. And what I used to do in the old days was beat you over the head with all this data and information. If you asked me 10 questions, I would answer all 10 questions. You want to go in the weeds, I would go in the weeds. Now, I don't do that. Wow. So my financial advisor – and by the way, uh, the, the leukemia story is, is a you – know, in a sense, it's a parallel to what you do with your investors – uh, again, congratulations. I don't wish anybody any ill will. Cancer's the worst. We make it through the cancer lottery. We're lucky people, uh, meaning we make it, you know, cancer-free until who knows how old we are when we finally go. 
Uh, but, uh, you know, thank God you, you got through that. So, yeah. And it's been, it's been, I know people always say this, but in some ways it does, I thought I had a healthy perspective on what's important in life. Right. And oh, that, I'm sure it changed and everything. And that will, uh, hyper-focus you on what's really important. Right. So back to investing, which is what this segment is about and what this show is about today. Odds on the, the, the focus is important. And when, somebody chooses their financial advisor they need to sit down and say what is your process not hey are you going to make what are you going to invest in uh because we don't care about the individual stocks according to you somebody will pick those stocks for us based on a discipline and a process and if you like the philosophy and your philosophy is evidence-based long-term little contrarian in the sense that you buy when people are selling and you sell when people are buying uh and you know, my investors' philosophy, my investment advisor's philosophy is really about a balanced portfolio, a percentage in fixed, a percentage in investable assets like, you know, stocks, bonds, mutual funds, indexes, but they're in different disciplines. There's growth, there's income, there's international, there's, and I don't know how many different disciplines there are, but it's a combination of those. And when one starts to do really well, you're saying time to sell. Well, and rebalance. Rebalancing. First of all, you mentioned diversification. That's a good thing. Mm-hmm. There's a you know they say diversification is the only free lunch. Uh, so diversification is a good thing. You don't know which asset class around the world is going to do well in what year. It's random. Accepting and 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 there are lots of great slides and information on this that you can that we could show people if we had the you know some sort of magic tool to relay through a podcast a visual. But there's lots of uh, data out there on which sort of asset classes, what how asset classes have performed, it's random. There's no pattern. And so that's hard to accept, right? That we can't, not only can we not yeah. predict which stocks will do well, I don't I can't even tell you which parts of the world will do well this year or next year. So and, if I, you know, the disruptors are war, presidential elections, <laughs> uh, right? a company that misses earnings by one penny can tank the entire market. Mm-hmm. You know, at least for the short term, not the long term. But if you are trying to pick and choose in time, that's why it doesn't work. Yeah. So accept that it's very difficult to predict, control, or to harness what's going to happen in the world markets. Except, though, that over long periods of time, you will be rewarded for taking the risk of market exposure. And and, and I would tell you um, – Having the discipline and the patience, it doesn't just come from like being a strong individual. A lot of it comes from having a sound approach that's based on data and evidence and not based on speculation. It is boring to say that, you know, sort of steady plotting will uh, yield prosperity. That's not fun and exciting. People want it, you know, I always think about that character Veruca Salt in uh, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. She was like, I want it now. Was that, that her name? That Veruca Salt. <laughs> that's Veruca her. Salt. Yeah, she wanted it now. And that's how many of us feel. We want it cheap, we want it fast, and we want it big in a hurry. And, and unfortunately, there is a slow, steady, patient set of requirements to really get and stay rich. Um, you can do it other ways. But this is the most prudent, evidence-based approach. All right. So I don't want you to be slow. The people that are listening, I do not want you to be slow when we finish this show to go online, go to Amazon, or go to uh, matthallbook.com. That's a way they can learn more about you and more about the book. But I urge you to do so. And I, when I, I mentioned you should buy two copies, one for yourself and one for your financial advisor, I was not joking. 
if you like this approach, I think it's important you put that approach approach into the people's hands that are going to help you get where you need to go. Awesome. Love it. All right. So that kind of wraps up our show, everybody. Thanks for listening. Thanks for hanging out. Thanks for tuning in. Matt, thanks for being an awesome guest. This is why we call this Amazing Business Radio. My name's Shep Hyken, and as I do at the end of every show, I like to remind everybody to always be amazing. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.